morning and welcome to the contemporary service at Church of the Palms in Sarasota, Florida. My name is Lori Haas and I'm one of the pastors here and we are so delighted that you have joined us. We wanna remind you that with the surge of the coronavirus here in Florida, our reopening task force has pushed back our in-person worship to mid-September and we're holding on to that loosely. As you know, things are changing all the time. We are excited though to offer you a fun and exciting fall kickoff and it will be drive-through style. So all kinds of new things coming your way. Mark your calendar for August 30th and watch for details. There are many ways that you can connect with us on Zoom. As you know, you can come on Monday mornings at 10 a.m. to have a conversation with the preaching pastor about the sermon from the day before. You can join us on Fridays at noon as we talk about the scripture passages that have been um, taken place during the devotions throughout the week. And now we have a new thing for you to join on Zoom, and that is a spiritual practice workshop. We are going to learn about and then practice an ancient practice of reading the Bible called Lectio Divina, or maybe better said, the Bible reading us. I'm so excited to offer this to you with my friend and co-partner in all of our small group classes, Anita Lustria, who is also a spiritual director. And we are gonna lead this one hour workshop coming up August 11th on a Tuesday at 9 a.m. If you wanna sign up for any of those Zoom conversations, you register on our Facebook or on our, web, on our website. You just click that and you'll register and you will be sent the Zoom link. We wanna thank you for your continued support of all of the ministry at Church of the Palms. Your offering, your tithes, all that you do are what enable us to continue to do ministry here, close, right here, and far away. There are four ways to give and you have been doing that well. We just beg of you to continue the good, good work that you do and thank you for partnering with us as we love God and we love neighbor. Two quick reminders, continue to send in your pictures of you and your pet to Jackie Gomez. You have until July 31st. Uh, we can't wait to see a peace be with you montage and we know nothing gives us peace like those little furry friends. And secondly, that next Sunday we will be celebrating communion. So we would invite you to grab the communion elements, some bread and juice or wine so that we can participate together though apart. It is now my joy to invite two very special women to come forward to give us some information and a report of Day of Hope. My friends Marlene Petro and Marsha Barson. Thank you guys for being here. Thanks, Lori. As Lori said, my name is Marlene Petro. And I'm Marsha Barson. Leaning on the expert advice of Dottie and Bill Tile, Marsha and I partnered this year to oversee our ninth, ninth annual Day of Hope here at Church of the Palms. A week ago Saturday, 250 children and their families were invited to join us, masked and in the middle of a pandemic. One parent told me that having her children home had been a disaster. I imagine she speaks for many. These past five months have left many in dire straits, so Day of Hope was a light in the forest for them. 
Although the buzz and the excitement of past years were missing from this year's drive-through event, the smiles and the gratitude of the children and parents were not. And these were all made possible thanks to the contributions of so many in our congregation. These children from Wilkinson, Philippi Creek, and Southside will start school well-equipped. Additionally, because of your generosity, we'll be able to respond to requests from these schools during the year. Thank you for loving God, loving neighbor. An event like Day of Hope can only happen with the help of many people, and it can only be the success that it was with the prayers of many more. We are so grateful to everyone who came on Saturday to enjoy the time of being together in fellowship and working together on the parking lot and safety team, the registration and gift card team, the greeters and the book team, the Boy Scouts who loaded bags of food, and our amazing youth who loaded backpacks and care bags, and our photographers Kathy Lloyd and Jerry Haley. There were many more helping hands working behind the scenes in preparation for our Day of Hope. Special thanks for the work on the dental and hygiene bags, to those who sewed face masks for both kids and adults, to our choir members for packing the All Faiths food bags, and to the group that bagged the produce from Detweiler's. We are always thankful for our wonderful pastors and amazing church staff, and for the extra help from Pam Gillespie, Kathy Robinette, James Thompson, Rick Dolanga, and the entire custodial staff. Our heartfelt thanks to many others who really wished to participate this year, but with good reason simply could not. Our hearts were joined together in prayers for our families and for the children and for all our volunteers. God heard our prayers and blessed us with a spectacular day. We are truly thankful to all of you.
Thanks, Justin and Johnny and Steve, uh, just beautiful. We're gonna enter into a prayer time, and as always, if you have prayer concerns or joys to share, please email me so we can walk on this journey together as a faith family. During the prayers today, I will pause for some opportunities for you to add your thoughts and prayers. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for this day of life. Help us to pay attention to all that we see, touch, hear, smell, and taste today. Help us to notice the beauty around us, O oh God. We pause now to give you thanks for the many blessings in our lives. We are sorry, O oh Lord, that we do and say things that are far from loving. 
Hear us now as we confess our sin against you and each other, the things we have done and the things we have left undone. We celebrate the forgiveness we receive from you, merciful God. May we walk in your presence, confident of being a claimed, chosen, and forgiven child of God. Now we lift up to you, gracious God, the people we know and love who are suffering from isolation, broken relationships, illness, fear, and deep grief. Hear us as we name those people who are precious to us and on our hearts this day. The world groans with pain from a relentless virus, from racial injustice, from senseless acts of violence, from natural disasters, from people who are starving for food and starving for love. We know that only light can drive out darkness and that only love can conquer hate. Heal us, empower us, and use us, O Lord, to be your light and love in the world. All this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I now would like to invite my friend and elder, Andrea Jackson, to come forward to read the scripture passage for us today. Our first scripture lesson is taken from the Gospel according to Matthew, the 25th chapter, verses 14 through 30. Hear the word of God. For it is as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one to each according to his ability. Then he went away. The one who had received the five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had the two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with him. Then the one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. See, I have made five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one with the two talents also came forward, saying, Master, you handed over to me two talents. See, I have made two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Then the one who had received the one talent also came forward, saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid 
and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master replied, You wicked and lazy slave, you knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow, and gather where I did not scatter. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and on my return I would have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one with the ten talents. For to all those who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Our next lesson is from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 13, verses 8 through 10. Owe no one anything except to love one another, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Andrea. Well, before turning to the sermon, I want to just bring to your attention a couple of more things. First, we had a wonderful discussion last Monday on the book by Martin Luther King Jr., Strength to Love. Fifty people crowded onto a Zoom call and broke into small groups and had a wonderful discussion, and many great ideas were shared as to how we can move forward in seeking to build our relationships and bring about reconciliation in this world. It was a very fruitful conversation. We're anxious to take more steps, and there will be more on this in weeks to come. I also want to make you aware of some changes that will be taking place around our campus. Over the next couple of weeks, we'll begin the work that we've been planning to do for quite a long time. You'll remember that in our Open Palms Extra Mile campaign, to which you most generously subscribed, we included some renovation projects here on our campus, including the refurbishing of the campus center and the kitchen, which we've largely completed, redoing our chapel, the original building on our campus, and then also redoing here in our center sanctuary, uh, many of the parts of this, of this chancel. The work on the chapel has already begun, and through a very generous donation of one of our families, the whole building will be redone and upgraded, and it will be quite beautiful. Likewise, here in the sanctuary, we're set to begin renovating our chancel here, which will include centering our, our choir loft and refinishing this beautiful oak floor. We will be uh, carrying out this, uh, taking the pulpit forward, and we will be changing out some of the chancel pieces, the communion table, the baptismal font, and the pulpit, which is actually not the original pulpit. So the chancel, will, which hasn't been touched in over 15 years, is going to be under construction for quite a while. And so what that means is that in our online worship over the next few weeks, things are going to look a little different. It still will be coming to you from the sanctuary, but things will be, shall we say, makeshift. We'll be moving to corners of the sanctuary, to film, but the music will be the same, and the prayers will be the same, and the preaching will be the same. 
all will be the same, just some temporary settings, so bear with us while we will be under construction, and we trust that you will be pleased when all is done. Once again, thank you for your patience and for your support. So we continue in our sermon series on the spiritual disciplines. We have been looking at a variety of disciplines, meditation and fasting and prayer and submission and solitude. Today, we're going to take a look at the discipline of simplicity. And so to that end, let us pray. By your grace, O God, and through your mercy, we pray that you will allow these words to come to point to the word just read and to the word made flesh in Jesus the Christ, where we pray this in his name, amen. It's hard to imagine an American childhood without at some time being given the chance to play the game Monopoly. Monopoly, the fourth most played board game in the history of board games, outdone only by chess checkers and backgammon, played by over a billion people worldwide in over 140 countries. Hard to escape Monopoly, the game that could last for hours while you roll your dice, travel around the board, land on properties for sale or for rent, railroads over to which to be tycoons, utilities to manage, go to pass by, and jail in which to land. Not to mention chance and community chess cards to draw. Monopoly where everybody starts with the same amount of money and the whole point of the game is to acquire and amass and drive the other players into bankruptcy. I'm afraid to think of how many hours of my childhood were spent around the Monopoly board, moving my little Scotty dog around, that was my favorite piece, buying up properties and houses and waiting with great anticipation for my poor playing companions to land on my boardwalk hotel. It's an interesting thing what a game like that will do to you. A little Darwinian, I suppose, survival of the fittest or the luckiest. Of course, it's only monopoly money, we say. But still, interesting what a little monopoly money will do to you. It's even more interesting to realize that the game Monopoly originated with a woman named Lizzie McGee back at the turn of the 20th century, who in seeing the ascent of tycoons like John D. Rockefeller and Andrew Carnegie and J.P. Morgan, was concerned about the effect of unbridled capitalism on our civilization. So she worked on creating a board game that would acquaint people with an anti-monopoly economy and what it would look like. The original Monopoly game actually was to show people what might happen when wealth, instead of being amassed, was instead shared. The goal of the game was in finding the most creative way in sharing your riches. It was called the Landlord's Game. Now, as it turns out, Lizzie McGee decided to also create a second set of rules for the game that had the opposite goal in mind, the goal that we're all used to, acquire and amass, buy, build, and keep the money for yourself. One game, two sets of rules. Acquire and give away, anti-monopoly. Acquire and amass, monopoly. Long story short, it wasn't long before people grew more and more interested in the second set of rules, the acquire and amass set of rules. They liked the idea more about winners and losers, acquire and amass, the bigger the better. I mean, really, how fun is a game when everybody wins? 
And then came along John Darrow during the Depression who took Lizzie's patented idea and without permission turned it into a board game we know today, sold it to Parker Brothers and became himself a millionaire, Mr. Tycoon himself. Lizzie McGee, on the other hand, died a few years later in relative obscurity. Truth is stranger than fiction. Now, I tend to be a basic proponent of democratic capitalism. There are many merits to the system in which we live in America, and one of them is that it still leaves us the freedom to choose by what particular rules we will play our game, free to determine what will the ultimate goal be, free to wrestle with the temptation to play the game more and more about more and more. Because that's how we act, isn't it? That's how we're wired. We are wired as humans to think that more is good, more is better. Two is better than one, four is better than two. Better to own the hotel and charge rent than to have to rent the hotel. Better boardwalk than Baltic Avenue. We all play this game of more in one way or the other. It's one of the byproducts of living in our economic system. It's one of the things that my daddy taught me early on, you know? Save your penny, son. Compounding interest is the name of the game. And it gets drilled into your head long enough that you begin to think it's the only way to play the game. And it gets drilled into our head in such a way that we think it's the only set of rules for the board. And so as a result, we have storage units up and down Bee Ridge Road. We have financial advisors. We have closets jammed with stuff we don't even know is there. We have collectibles whose only purpose is that we have collected them. And we have more and more and more because that's the only set of rules we think that's for the board. We, we fill our cupboards, our calendars, our coffers, and life gets complicated more and full and stressed and oversubscribed. Because the name of the game we think is more and more and more. And you might even wonder if Jesus sees it the same way when you read this parable that we just read, the, the parable of the three servants who are given three different amounts of money from the landowner, and the, and the five-talent servant takes his five talents and shrewdly invests them and gets five talents more in return. And the two-talent servant invests his two talents, and he gets two talents more. And the one-talent servant buries his cash in the field. Now, nah, there's something in me that likes this one-talent guy. He's cautious. He's not going to lose his money in some pandemic crash. He's going to keep what he gets. But surprise, surprise, the heroes in Jesus' story are the guys who take the risk and acquire more, 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 more. And the master says, well done, good and faithful servants. I've given you a little, and you brought me more. So maybe life really is about more. And it is, Jesus says. It really is about more. Except the currency is different. Look more closely, Jesus says, at the, at the currency, the coinage, the bills of the board. Because, of course, Jesus is not here to teach us the old game. Jesus is here to teach us the new game. Jesus is here to hand out a new set of rules. And the new set of rules starts 
with the legal tender, the, the currency of the kingdom. And the currency of the kingdom turns out to be the, the lira of love. You play the game with the coinage of the kingdom, and the coinage of the kingdom is the currency of love. You see how that changes the game. When, when the currency of the game is love, when the exchange of the game is, is the coinage of compassion, when the barter of the game is acts of kindness, then the whole game changes. And now, it's not all about consuming or collecting or closeting. It's all about spending, and that's the point that Jesus makes in the story. It's about the spending. It's about what you're investing, and it's not about what you're keeping. It's not about emptying. It's about emptying yourself so that others can be full depositing in other people's accounts and watching for the return different game different rules and the great spiritual giants throughout the course of Christian history called us to the discipline of simplicity it was always with this game in mind when the early church gathered we're told they held everything in common. They had this game in mind. When the biblical communities in places like Corinth and Philippi and Ephesus, when they gathered, they would care for one another. It was because they had this game in mind. There was not a needy person among them, Luke says. Oh, no one anything, Paul writes, except to love one another, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For, for the one who loves another has played by the new set of rules, has spent the currency. When love is the currency, then all the other currencies turn and are converted into the layer of love. When love is the game you're going to play, that changes all the other games like the story of the two farmers, Henry and Ralph. And, and Henry gets invited to a conference on stewardship. And, and after the conference is over, he comes back, runs into his farmer friend, Ralph, who asks where he had been. Well, I, I've been off to a, a church conference on stewardship, replies Henry. Oh, stewardship, says Ralph. What do they tell you about stewardship? Well, Henry says, they, they said that stewardship goes something like this. Say, for example, you, Ralph, had, had two houses, and, and you knew I didn't have a house. Would you give me one of yours? Well, sure, replies Ralph. I had two houses. I'd give you one. Well, well let's say you had two tractors, and, and you knew I didn't have a tractor. W would you give me one? Oh, sure, says Ralph. If I had two tractors, I'd give you one. Well, let's say you have two hogs, and, and you know I didn't have any hogs and needed one. Would you give me one of your hogs? And Ralph says, hey, hey, go on, Harry. Henry, that's not fair. You know I got two hogs. The game that changes all the other games makes me think of Janet Lures. Janet Lures is the editor and publisher of a journal and blog and website called Simple Living. And she tells that when she was 30 years old and she was facing into a midlife crisis, she was afraid that she hadn't done enough in her life, so she went to law school, got married, started a law practice, had two children, bought a four-bedroom house with a great big mortgage, and filled it all with all sorts of things, charged it all to her credit cards, 
My life was about getting more and more, she said. If I wanted it, I got it. And all this was even before Amazon. But as her debt started to grow and her self-esteem began to plummet, she grew more and more dissatisfied with her life. And she remembers a day when she was watching her children play and out in the backyard, and, and what they were doing was that they were kind of rolling rocks on the ground. That, that's all they were doing, and they seemed to be having the best time of their life, just rolling these rocks on the ground. And, and she said to herself, my, my children don't need fancy things to entertain themselves. Why do I? So that day she cut up all her credit cards and planned her first rummage sale, sold her new fancy car, bought a beat-up station wagon for $2,500. She got rid of all her exercise apparatuses and started running the stairs of an amphitheater nearby. For entertainment, she read books from the library and hosts potluck dinners. She calls it voluntary simplicity, living simply for a passion and a purpose. I don't know, that sounds like gospel to me. Sounds like playing the game but with new currency. And and maybe that's the currency that we're getting today in our season of involuntary simplicity, you know, our, our COVID hiding. Maybe that's what we really get to play with these days, and maybe that's a good thing because, you see, love doesn't have room for a lot of stuff. Love takes no delight in big bank accounts. Love isn't worried about how to protect your investment. No, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. It's the only currency that you can't spend too much of. It's the passion and the purpose around which we can live the rest of our lives. In George Eliot's great story, Silas Marner, She tells the story of a man, Silas Marner, whose heart had grown cold from a series of hard knocks, and so so he sets his life to making money through his weaving, and in turn becomes this old, miserly, wealthy, lonely, and embittered man who sits in his house with his big bag of gold coins protecting himself and his treasure from anyone who might come in and steal it. And sure enough, somebody comes in and steals it. And now he has nothing, and every day he opens the door of his little house and stares into the outside through his old blurry eyes, hoping beyond hope that somebody might bring his money back. And one day as he's standing at the door, staring in an almost a despondent trance, a little child who's earlier been abandoned makes her way, unbeknownst to silence, through the open door and into his house and lays down at the foot of his warm fire. Silas finally steps back into the house and through his old eyes he sees something before the fire. He can't quite make it out. The gold locks on the little girl's head for a moment makes him think that the gold's return. But then Silas realizes it's a little girl. And he picks her up and brings her to his lap and holds her and tries to lull her to sleep. Eliot describes it this way, that Silas began to, quote, feel a certain awe in the presence of this little child, such as we feel before some quiet majesty or beauty or earth in the sky, before a steady growing planet or a full-flowered sweetbriar or the bending trees over a silent pathway. 
It can be as simple as that. Now I know the chances are slim that a young child with golden locks is going to crawl into our homes, but I wonder if every day when we turn on the news or scroll through Facebook or Twitter or comb the newspaper, I wonder if every day another person doesn't sort of crawl into our lives. Maybe it's a Jewish neighbor whose synagogue had a swastika sprayed painted on its walls, or, or maybe it's an African-American demanding that black lives matter too, or, or maybe it's working, a working parent who doesn't know what she's going to do when her child can only go to school two days a week. Or maybe it's a migrant worker in Immokalee just waiting for the COVID to come to him. Or maybe it's a senior trapped in a nursing home. And then we realize the old monopoly doesn't work. The currency has changed. And the only way to win is if everybody wins. All life is interrelated, preached Martin Luther King Jr. in one of the sermons we studied this past week. All people are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. I can never be what I ought to be until you are what you ought to be, and you can never be what you ought to be until I am what I ought to be. This is the interrelated structure of reality, King writes. Or as Jesus might say, the rules of the new game. A new currency for a new kingdom. Who was it that said, live simply so that others might simply live? Oh, no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another is playing the game by the new rules. Let us pray. Oh, gracious God, we are sort of wired for more. We, we want more. We want to get onto Amazon and collect more. And we know, O oh Lord, that that ends up in bankruptcy. So we thank you, O oh Lord, that through your son Jesus, you've given us a new set of rules and a new way to play the game that gives us so much more satisfaction where everybody gets to win. And pray that you may help us to find the creative ways by which we can allow others to make their way into our lives such they can win alongside of us. All this we pray in Christ's name, amen.
Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with you now and forevermore. Amen.